Johnson & Johnson knew for years that their baby powder contained traces of asbestos. Now they're trying to avoid taking responsibility through a shady legal maneuver called the Texas Two-Step. In this episode, you'll learn about the tainted baby powder, Johnson & Johnson's attempts to squash the information, how they targeted women, particularly black women with their advertisements, and their recent strategy designed to leave the victims of their products without recourse. Welcome back to another episode of The Corporate Casket. I'm Blair, and today we're discussing Johnson & Johnson, a company built around the motto, safety first. Yet their flagship product, their baby powder, has repeatedly tested positive for asbestos. And now it is believed to have caused a number of people to get very, very sick. So let's get into it. Talc powder products have been around since the 1800s with Johnson & Johnson's baby powder being sold since 1894. Since talc absorbs moisture and reduces friction, it's great for preventing diaper rashes, making baby powder a staple on changing tables. It's also in powdered makeup, lipstick, mascara, pottery, ceramics, paint, roofing, and plenty of other household items. Crystal Kim, who was 10 years old in the 70s, explained that she used it to stay fresh, sprinkling baby powder on her body and her underwear. Her mother put it in her sheets to stay cool and dry. Her grandmother put it under her breasts and Kim herself had it in her hair, makeup, pillowcases. She even put it on her dog. After all, Johnson & Johnson marketed the powder to be used on babies. So it had to be safe, right? Although talcum powder itself isn't dangerous, it naturally occurs next to a mineral that is asbestos, a mineral group known for its carcinogenic properties. Asbestos is a group of six fibrous materials that have crystalline structures. The six crystals are categorized as either serpentine or amphibole, depending on their fiber shape. Serpentine asbestos is wavy or curly like a serpent and the only member of this family with chrysotile, also known as white asbestos, which is made up of long curly fibers that weave together to make sheets. This kind of asbestos is most commonly used in the United States. It was popular in construction projects and automotive parts. All other asbestos is amphibole, straight, stiff, needle-like, and much easier to inhale. Amosite, also known as brown asbestos, is the second most common type. Because of its heat resistant properties, it was used in insulation and ceiling tiles. Crocidolite, also known as blue asbestos, is considered the most hazardous because it's super small. It lacks the heat resistance of brown asbestos, so it wasn't used as often. A good thing considering that some studies have shown that blue asbestos is responsible for more diseases and deaths than any other type. Actinolite and anthophyllite, which don't have nicknames, are both rarer and of more varieties of asbestos and aren't found in consumer products, but are sometimes found in cement, insulation, drywall, and paint. Tremolite asbestos is white to dark green in color. It also has sharp needle structures, but it was commonly used in insulation and construction materials. Once asbestos particles have been inhaled or ingested, the microscopic fibers cannot be removed from the body. They become embedded. There is no safe level of asbestos exposure and long-term exposure can cause serious asbestos-related diseases like asbestosis, lung cancer, and mesothelioma. Mesothelioma is a cancer that occurs in the thin tissue that lines many of your internal organs, such as the lungs, stomach, and heart. Asbestos-related illnesses have a long latency period. Symptoms of asbestositis, a chronic lung condition caused by prolonged exposure to asbestos, can take 20 or 30 years to appear. 
symptoms of asbestos-related mesothelioma can take even longer, 30 or 40 years, depending on the level of exposure. Johnson & Johnson weren't the only manufacturers of talc powder, but they were the most well-known and commonly used brand. And they knew about the possibility of asbestos in their talc as early as 1957. That year, the company hired a lab, the Battelle Memorial Institute, to research the quality of their Italian talc. In this report, W.L. Smith, principal geologist of the Minerals Benefaction Division at Battelle Memorial wrote, the Italian talc contained from less than 1% to about 3% of contaminants. The contamination is natural and consists mostly of carbonate with minor amphibole and rare accessory materials. The amphibole component has been established to be the variety tremolite. This report was not intended to address contaminants in the talc, so it doesn't focus on it, but it is evidence that Johnson & Johnson had knowledge that their Italian talc was contaminated. A series of case studies on the dangers of inhaling talc were published in medical journals around this period. By the time Johnson & Johnson received the report from Battelle Memorial, a third of pediatricians were recommending using cornstarch or oil to treat diaper rashes and chafing instead of talc. Almost a decade later in June of 1966, after three children died after breathing in large amounts of talcum powder, a report in the American Journal of Diseases of Children concluded that there was no justification for using the product on babies because it had no medicinal value. Just a year after that in 1967, traces of tremolite were found in another one of Johnson & Johnson's talc supplies, a cluster of mines in Vermont. William Ashton, the executive in charge of Johnson & Johnson's talc supply wrote a memo claiming that it was quote, normal to find tremolite in US talc deposits and they shouldn't try to avoid the substance completely. Instead, he wrote, the question is how bad is tremolite medically and how much of it can be safely in the talc base that we might develop? Even Robert Wood Johnson II, the son of Johnson & Johnson's founder was concerned over quote, the possibility of the adverse effects on the lungs of babies and mothers. These concerns spread. In 1971, Mount Sinai Medical Center researcher Irving Selikoff wanted to know why New Yorkers who had never worked with asbestos still had signs of it in their lung tissue. When analyzing talc as a potential cause, Selikoff and his researchers learned that it contained asbestos fiber content ranging from five to 25%, making it the prime suspect. Selikoff was quoted as saying, no one, particularly children and young people should be unduly exposed. We know that if a person inhales significant amounts of asbestos dust, he carries the burden that will provide a latent potential for the development of cancer for the rest of his life. The researchers sent their findings to New York City's Environmental Protection Chief, Jerome Ketchmer, who informed the Nixon administration and called a press conference. Consequently, the FDA opened an inquiry. At first, Johnson & Johnson released a statement that read, quote, Johnson & Johnson takes great care to assure the purity of its products, even to the extent of mining and processing our own talc for use in baby powder. Our 50 years of research knowledge in this area indicates that there are no asbestos contained in the powder manufactured by Johnson & Johnson. Later that year, another Mount Sinai researcher, Arthur Langer, a mineralogist, wrote a letter to Johnson & Johnson informing them that he'd quote, found a relatively small amount of chrysotile asbestos in their baby powder. His name, along with Selikoff's and Ketchmer's, ended up on an internal Johnson & Johnson list of antagonistic personalities. In 1972, OSHA set limits on workplace exposure and the public widely recognized asbestos as the primary cause of mesothelioma. The FDA continued to investigate asbestos and talc. So while public awareness grew, Johnson & Johnson turned to another market completely, adults. One Family Circle magazine advertisement marketed the baby powder as a feeling you never outgrow. 
celebrities such as baseball Hall of Fame slugger Harmon Killebrew promoted it. Johnson & Johnson also created advertisements starring young women. They aimed to convince women and girls that applying baby powder to their body and genitals after every shower would keep them smelling clean and fresh throughout the day. One line from an ad in the magazine 17 in 1972 read, you start being sexy when you stop trying. For Crystal Kim, the regular talc user mentioned earlier, the routine was always showering with soap, applying lotion, and finishing up with Johnson & Johnson baby powder. She explained to Reuters, in our community, we would always see older girls with powder on their necks and cleavage. So that was the kind of statement like, I'm clean, see, I have my powder on. And that kind of stuck with me. When Crystal also says our community, she's referring to the black community, a detail that will become very important later on. The FDA's examinations came to an end shortly after they'd begun. They hadn't found any asbestos in Johnson & Johnson baby powder products. This may sound like good news, but the FDA themselves admitted their test couldn't detect chrysotile fibers. According to Johnson & Johnson's records, one FDA official in 1972 told them in an interview, I understand that some samples will be passed even though they contain such fibers, but we are willing to live with it. A year later, the Johnson & Johnson research director at DeWitt Peterson confirmed asbestos contamination when he visited the company's mining operations in Vermont. He admitted that yes, subtrace quantities of tremolite or actinolite were identifiable and that they, quote, might be classified as asbestos fiber. Johnson & Johnson conducted research into the potential harm their products could cause, trying to determine how much powder and asbestos a baby could be exposed to during diapering and if that exposure remained within OSHA's workplace exposure limits. By 1974, more than 60% of baby powder sales were attributable to adults who used it on themselves. That year, Johnson & Johnson told the FDA that talc with 1% asbestos was safe and that, quote, methods of capable determining less than 1% asbestos in talc are not necessary to assume the safety of cosmetic talc. An assertion one FDA official called foolish saying, quote, no mother was going to powder her baby with 1% of a known carcinogen. In an attempt to avoid regulation, Johnson & Johnson agreed that they'd monitor their talcs and begin lying by omission to the FDA. They didn't adopt the recommendation to concentrate samples before examination and withheld information about positive testing. Their method was simple. According to Reuters, Johnson & Johnson promoted the positive and challenged the negative. As the studies were commissioned and paid for by Johnson & Johnson themselves, they could tell researchers what they wanted, then hire a ghostwriter to present the findings in a journal. When the FDA was considering a limit on asbestos and talc, Johnson & Johnson used this method to combat them. In 1974, Johnson & Johnson's director of medical affairs sent money to an Italian physician who had also happened to control the talc export to hire a team of researchers. They told the lead researcher the results they wanted, the data that would quote, show the incidence of cancer in subjects is no different from that of the Italian population or the rural control group and received that exact report. Johnson & Johnson's director of medical affairs then sent the report to a ghostwriter for revision who ensured the report presented the best possible case. Without a doubt, we can confirm the tests of Johnson & Johnson products from this time period contain asbestos, but Johnson & Johnson argued that we can't know where this asbestos came from. Photographs on Reuters investigates show the needle-like shape of asbestos fibers in a 1978 Johnson & Johnson baby powder bottle, plainly visible in black and white. Johnson & Johnson, on the other hand, has argued that this is only, quote, background asbestos, fibers that could have contaminated samples after arriving at a mill or lab, or from fraying insulation in homes where the bottles were used. Whether or not that's the case, no asbestos, background or otherwise, is good. 
1982, doctors conducted a study evaluating 215 white females with epithelial ovarian cancers. And they found that 42% of their subjects used talc on or around their genitals. According to Dr. Kramer, one of the lead researchers, when he published his study and spoke out against talc in his papers, the medical director of Johnson & Johnson himself tried to convince Kramer that the talc was, quote, a harmless habit. Kramer said, they encouraged me to limit public discussion on the topic. I didn't have any further discussion with them. I think they kept track of what I was studying and my papers on the topic. Johnson & Johnson, rather than ask Kramer questions and ally themselves with a concerned member of the medical community, argued against his findings instead when they were likely well aware that their own studies weren't exactly accurate. In 2016, Kramer performed another study and found that women who use talc-based products on their genitals have a 33% higher risk of developing ovarian cancer. But it gets worse from here because Johnson & Johnson ignored the dangers their products caused even when the evidence was staring them right in the face. As early as 1997, Darlene Coker brought litigation against the company when she was diagnosed with mesothelioma. Her lung tissue contained tens of thousands of long fibers from four different types of asbestos, consistent with exposure to talc contaminated by chrysotile, trematile, two kinds of asbestos we mentioned earlier that studies shown were present in Johnson & Johnson's products. Coker's lawyer, Hobson, requested that Johnson & Johnson turn over any documents related to testing for fibrous or asbestiform materials, but Johnson & Johnson objected. They claimed that Coker and Hobson had no evidence that baby powder caused mesothelioma and left it at that. Without any cooperation from the company, the suit was dropped. Thankfully, Coker managed to survive for 12 years after her diagnosis before passing away in 2009 at the age of 63. Many more mesothelioma patients are seeking answers from Johnson & Johnson, just like Coker did. And we're gonna get into those cases right after this commercial break. The holidays are hectic, so it's the perfect time for HelloFresh. And that's because they send fresh pre-measured ingredients and some great winter and holiday recipes right to your door. With recipes like balsamic and fig beef tenderloin or pecan-crusted salmon that make your holiday meals feel special without the high cost of dining out or delivery. Now, many of you know my comfort food at this point with HelloFresh are those firecracker meatballs. I will not let them go please make more with carrots. I don't know what it is. I'm on this carrot kick right now. I need more food with carrots. But I recently also did, they had like this creamy chive chicken recipe and it was so good. And I am I normally see that and I'm like, mm, that's gonna be really bland, but it actually had a really nice punch of flavor in there. So I was, I was pleasantly surprised. And HelloFresh now also has a holiday cheese and charcuterie board and a skinny dipped dark chocolate peppermint almonds and a charcuterie board, I can't help it. I'm always gonna say a charcuterie board, but I want one. Anyway, if you wanna get started, try any of these delicious foods or any of the other 50 plus menu items that they have in any given week, make sure you go to hellofresh.com casket14 and use code casket14 for up to 14 free meals and three free gifts. That's up to 14 free meals and three free gifts at hellofresh.com casket14 and use code casket14. Considering the season, many of us are shopping online a whole lot right now. But if you're doing it without honey, the shopping tool that finds promo codes for you and automatically applies the best ones to your cart, then you might be doing it wrong. Honey supports over 300,000 stores online. And the best part is, is once you install the Honey extension in your browser, you don't even have to do anything. When you're ready to check out when you're shopping, the Honey button just drops down, you click apply coupons and just wait for it to find the best coupon for your cart. 
See, I'm someone who's personally obsessed with calendars, organization. I I don't know why that's my thing. And I'm still the type of person that I want to handwrite everything. I don't want to do it digitally. So I'm obsessed with this like online stationery store called Erin Condren and I have like their lifestyle planners and all this kind of stuff. And anyway, the point is I was shopping and I was doing, doing my business, purchasing new stickers, being dangerously reckless with my fucking credit card and sure as hell, the honey button dropped down and I saved like 20% on my order and I was like, hell yes. So if you don't already have Honey, you could be straight up missing out on free savings. It's literally free and installs in a few seconds. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting the show. I'd never recommend something that I don't actually use. So get Honey for free at joinhoney.com casket. That's joinhoney.com casket. this cosmetics issue is even bigger than the tobacco industry because we're talking about thousands of different chemicals. The same chemicals being dumped and running through the rivers are running through our blood. Skincare, hair, feminine care products have been associated with reproductive problems, ovarian cancer, preterm birth. As the documentary Toxic Beauty puts it, chemicals are not like people. They aren't innocent until proven guilty. Products, especially cosmetics, should be tested before an entire generation is subjected to potential cancer-causing consequences. To make matters worse, by the time some of these cancers, such as ovarian cancer, are detective, it's often after massive damage has already been done. The survival rate for ovarian cancer is only about 50% for the first five years. Crystal Kim learned she had ovarian cancer in 2014 when she was 47 years old. She went to her doctor for a follow-up ultrasound a year after surgery for fibroids. She'd been feeling healthy, but the doctor saw cancer on her ovaries. In an attempt to save her life, Crystal Kim had a full hysterectomy and started chemotherapy. Soon after, she discovered that her ovarian cancer might be linked to the baby powder she used frequently and in accordance with Johnson & Johnson guidelines as their advertising encouraged. In 2006, the International Agency for Research on Cancer, an arm of the World Health Organization, classified perennial use of talc as possibly carcinogenic, according to Reuters. Johnson & Johnson not only continued selling the product, but began marketing heavily to their most loyal and long-term users, overweight women in general, and black women specifically. The same year their baby powder was called possibly carcinogenic, one of their internal marketing presentations stated that they wanted to focus on, quote, underdeveloped geographical areas with hot weather and higher African-American population. Johnson & Johnson distributed baby powder samples throughout churches and beauty salons in black and Hispanic neighborhoods, ran digital and print promotions with Weight Watchers, and launched a $300,000 radio campaign in an attempt to reach this target market. According to reporter Kalesha Toddy, associate producer of the podcast Bodies, Johnson & Johnson played into negative stereotypes about black women with their advertising. Toddy explains that historically, black women have been targeted for ads for douching products more than white women, and the standard of beauty is even higher. Toddy says, quote, black women are told they need to look clean and presentable to fit into white spaces. Like in the United States, many schools will still not allow black girls to wear their hair natural. And the more you're trying to change your body, the harsher the chemicals need to be. Once the sales of baby powder began to slump, Johnson & Johnson, whether intentionally or not, used these harmful stereotypes linked to black women to encourage them to buy their products and thus profit from them. They didn't act on the health and safety concerns around their baby powder, calling their baby product division their number one asset, grounded in deep personal trust. It's important to recognize that correlation doesn't always equal causation. So these cases will often fall into a gray area. 
Cancer can be linked to a wide variety of risk factors. So pinpointing talcum powder alone as the sole reason behind any given case of ovarian cancer is a difficult sell legally. However, enough evidence shows that talcum powder is one possible risk factor. So while the jury didn't award monetary damages, they did tell Johnson & Johnson that they should put a warning label on their products to make consumers aware of the links between talcum powder, asbestos, and cancer risk. Another woman who experienced health problems related to talcum powder was Deanna Berg, a physician's assistant. She claims she first noticed something was wrong when she had intermittent spotting between her menstrual cycles. Though she believed it might've been menopause, she went to her doctor anyway and learned that she had bilateral carcinoma, an ovarian cancer. Like Crystal Kim, Berg needed a total hysterectomy and chemotherapy. Seeking answers, Berg began reading medical textbooks to see what could have caused this, genetics, birth control, obesity. Again, like Crystal Kim, Berg fit none of the well-known causes. Then she came across information linking talcum powder and ovarian cancer. Berg had been using a Johnson & Johnson powder called Shower to Shower since she was 16 years old. Outraged and devastated, she approached a lawyer to take Johnson & Johnson head on. The company offered Berg over a million dollars to abandon her case, but she refused. Once her lawyer presented documents showing that Johnson & Johnson was hiding the possible dangers of their talcum powder, the studies, the letters, the mining assays, Berg believed she'd made the right decision. Berg was the first individual to take on Johnson & Johnson in court for potential harm from asbestos in their baby powder. In a strange turn of events, despite winning her 2013 lawsuit, Berg was awarded nothing in damages, not a single penny. This didn't matter to her as she felt the point was proving Johnson & Johnson's guilt. If only she had wanted money, she could have taken their seven-figure offer. Still, the outcome of her case demonstrated that even when pathologists found talc particles inside Berg's ovarian tumor tissue, and even when the jury had enough evidence to grant a guilty verdict, the system was not comfortable awarding monetary damages. After Berg won her case, multiple similar lawsuits were filed. By 2019, four of those cases resulted in victories for the plaintiffs. Aside from the ovarian cancer, victims of other illnesses commonly linked to asbestos have stepped forward claiming that talcum powders caused their conditions as well. One mesothelioma victim, Stefan Lanzo, filed a lawsuit against Johnson & Johnson in 2018. Just like Berg, Lanzo used their shower-to-shower brand talcum powder regularly before developing mesothelioma decades later. Lanza was eventually awarded $117 million in this landmark case, and it was the first guilty verdict against Johnson & Johnson involving mesothelioma. His suit paved the way for other victims to follow. Johnson & Johnson fought these verdicts on appeal whenever possible. In the case of Stefan Lanzo, they were able to overturn the verdict, arguing that some expert testimony had been based on opinion and his claims were not tested. Though Lanzo's case was overturned and Johnson & Johnson was cleared of liability in several others, plaintiffs nonetheless won three total cases against them, proving that it was at least possible to successfully argue in the courtroom that Johnson & Johnson's talcum powder products can cause mesothelioma. Despite the lawsuits rolling in, Johnson & Johnson continued to advocate and assure the public that their products were safe and never contained any asbestos whatsoever. One statement made on the safety and care commitment page of their website read, Johnson's talc products are made using US pharmacopial grade talc to ensure that it meets the highest quality, purity, and compliance standards. Our talc-based consumer products have always been asbestos-free as confirmed by regular testing conducted since the 1970s. We also make Johnson's baby powder that contains cornstarch. Their reworked version of the statement now recognizes that Johnson & Johnson's talc could have been contaminated and has replaced the words have always been with are, a bit of a telling tense change. Considering that lab reports do show asbestos in previous batches of baby powder, it's inaccurate to claim that they've never been tainted, no matter what the current formula is. 
However, the current CEO of Johnson & Johnson, Alex Gorski, has continued to advocate for their baby powder and insist to the court that it is safe. But on October 19th, 2019, Johnson & Johnson recalled 33,000 bottles of baby powder in the US. Johnson & Johnson announcing a major change to one of its iconic products. Pharmaceutical giant saying it will no longer- This was a massive PR blow to the company, especially considering their ongoing litigation. It opened the floodgates for lawsuits, forcing Johnson & Johnson to open their wallets for the plaintiffs. So if your loved one has used a talc product and has suffered from ovarian cancer, Call us or put out the form on our website. Johnson and Johnson baby powder is linked to ovarian cancer. If you or a loved one was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and used talcum powder, if you have a potential claim, call our talcum powder. After the recall, Johnson and Johnson faced an avalanche of lawsuits and other setbacks. A handful of survivors, including Crystal Kim, banded together to take on the company and were awarded hundreds of millions each. In October, 2020, Johnson & Johnson reached a $100 million settlement that resolved more than 100,000 claims of asbestos-contaminated baby powder. The next month, a woman in the name of Donna Olson was awarded a $120 million in damages, reduced from an initial 300 million of her mesothelioma diagnosis. To limit their legal liability, Johnson & Johnson needed to act quickly. In October, 2021, they did, using a move known as the Texas Two-Step. They created a subsidiary named LTL Management in Texas, burdened them with all the baby powder related liability, and then had LTL immediately file for bankruptcy in North Carolina, thus halting payouts and potential lawsuits against Johnson & Johnson directly. North Carolina has become favorable for federal bankruptcy thanks to their previous rulings on the subject. Despite efforts from many of the plaintiffs to file preliminary injunctions blocking the creation of the subsidiary to take the blame, over 38,000 court cases have been halted in their tracks when this maneuver was successfully carried out. LTL, parroting Johnson & Johnson like the straw man it is, has also continued to maintain that Johnson's baby powder is safe, does not contain asbestos, and does not cause cancer. Johnson & Johnson themselves believe that LTL was created for the benefit of all parties, including future and current claimants. On their website, they stated that they believe that the financial backing of Johnson & Johnson and the dedicated trust of LTL would allow everyone to be treated equitably. When LTL filed for bankruptcy, they stated, quote, this established process will allow for a more efficient and consistent resolution for all parties. While LTL pursues this equitable resolution, all cosmetic talc cases will stay pending the outcome of the proceedings. Johnson & Johnson's critics argue that this is nothing more than an attempt by the company to abuse the system and shield its assets. Earlier this month, Wednesday, November 10th, 2021, the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee sent a letter to the company in regards to their bankruptcy maneuver, writing, quote, we urge you to immediately reverse course so that tens of thousands of consumers can have their fair day in court. When the committee said tens of thousands of consumers, they weren't exaggerating either. Over 38,000 cases were just the ones currently active and the pace of new ones have been accelerating as more evidence of misconduct has come to light. Johnson & Johnson was able to request that a federal bankruptcy judge pause the lawsuits against them. This request was granted in November, 2021, but only for 60 days. Two months in the legal system might as well just be a blink because it has bankruptcy experts to call this a major setback for Johnson & Johnson. In addition to the relatively minimal pause on their cases, the judge ruled that the bankruptcy case should be handled in New Jersey, where Johnson & Johnson is headquartered, as opposed to North Carolina, the more favorable venue they selected. Though this may have paused the lawsuits, this certainly didn't stop them entirely, and many plaintiffs continue to seek justice from Johnson & Johnson. In the more recent suits, Teresa Elizabeth Leavitt and her husband, Dean J. McElroy, filed against Johnson & Johnson in August, 2021. Court documents state that Leavitt used Johnson & Johnson baby powder since she was an infant. Her mother and other caretakers applied it to her after diaper changes and baths, 
As a teen, Leavitt used it on her face and in her hair as a dry shampoo up until 1998. In 2017, she was diagnosed with mesothelioma. Leavitt and her husband presented expert testimony from Dr. Bill Longo, a materials scientist, who testified he had found asbestos in multiple baby powder samples from the 1970s. According to court documents, six out of seven baby powder samples sourced from Korean mines, he detected tremolite actinolite asbestos that ranged from under 0.1% to 0.3%. That's between 29,000 and 65,000 asbestos fibers per gram of talc. He also found asbestos in 25 of 41 Vermont sourced cosmetic talc samples containing up to 95,000 fibers per gram. All of the samples were created and sold between 1966 and 1998 the time when Teresa Leavitt would have used her products. Again, while it's often nearly impossible to legally prove that a specific case of cancer was caused directly by one thing, enough expert testimony and evidence has been presented that the court agreed in this case. Teresa and her husband were awarded $29.4 million and the jury allocated 98% responsibility for what happened to the defendants, Johnson & Johnson. The other 2% responsibility went to a former owner of the Vermont talc mines, No amount of money can erase the damage done or resurrect the dead. Though Kim is in remission, in the two years between the beginning of her legal battle with Johnson & Johnson and her time interview that was conducted in 2020, 10 of the 22 plaintiffs have passed away. Though each case against Johnson & Johnson will have its own outcome, things are not looking bright for the company. Tens of thousands of cases are awaiting litigation. Johnson & Johnson aren't permitted to handle the bankruptcy case in the state of their choosing. And those cases that have been heard are frequently costing the company millions. For the time being, they have a two month pause to get themselves together. But at this point, it may not be long enough. Chalk it up to the power of the people. But enough talc, it's time to dust off our hands and get back to business. Thank you for listening. If you learned something new from today's episode, make sure that you are subscribing. And if you wanna see the visual components to each of these episodes, make sure to check out the YouTube channel, also called Illuminati. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you learned something new and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.